0: Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org.
1: Now let's join this week's service, Already in Brothers. Our scripture for today is from the second chapter of James, verses 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask you to come into our church this morning with your word and your spirit and just ask that you'll speak directly to each one of us and just reveal your truths to us. We all want to leave change today and agreement with what Josh said earlier, change to be more like you, Lord. So, we ask you to be with Reed this morning as he delivers your message, and just help him speak your words with boldness and with power, and we don't want to take one of your many blessings for granted this morning, Lord, so we just come to you as a grateful people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Well, here we are continuing on in the awesome book of James. And as I shared with you earlier, the overall purpose of James is to move us toward wholeness. And again, I I think I shared, I have this commentary by Jay Adams on the book of James, it's called A Thirst for Wholeness. But the passion of James is to make us whole people, complete people, to move us to perfection in Christ. He wants us... He wants you and me to learn to live out our faith with consistency and with genuineness. He doesn't want you to go on in your Christian life with, this, with these huge blind spots that everybody can see but you. He doesn't want you to go on in your Christian life with these glaring weaknesses. He doesn't want you to go on in your Christian life with these areas of inconsistency, with areas of your life that just do not add up with being a follower of Christ. And the next area that he wants to, to fix in our lives is the problem of showing favoritism. Verse 1, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. So this is a general command. Right here in verse 1, this is a general command that applies to any and every kind of favoritism that we might show we are not to make distinctions on how we treat people based on any outward differences i mean it's just this is just like a a basic christianity 101 and yet it's something that that a lot of times people don't get a lot of times we go on maybe for a significant time in our christian life and there's a certain kind of person that we, sh- that we, that we disdain in our heart, and a certain other kind of person that we, that we lift up and show favoritism to. And so this is a general command that applies to any and every kind of favoritism. So we're not to make distinctions in how we treat people based on any outward differences, whether someone is black or white highly educated or barely educated, whether someone is in management or labor, whether someone is a leader or a follower, whether, that, whether a person is a, is a charismatic, dynamic person or just a very ordinary person, whether a person is rich or poor and on and on and on, any kind of difference that you can think of outwardly, we are not to treat people any differently based on those things and this is not just an adult problem in fact it it may be even worse among kids and and teenagers kids at school make distinctions uh, and can be so very cruel in doing so they make distinctions on who is in and who is out who is cool and who is not Uh, They judge other kids by their clothes or by their shoes or by their hair. Uh, You know, when I was in in high school, I went to Des Moines East. And I don't know if it's the same now as it was then. I mean, this is a long time ago. But, you know, when I was was in in school, there were kids that were in the clique. And that's what they called it. They called it the clique. Um, There were kids that were in the clique and kids that were not in the clique. I was not in the click, you know, and I felt that. I knew my place, and it was just a distinction that was made among, among the kids at, at, at East High. You know, I was talking the other day with uh, a framer, our, our lead framer, Jeff, who runs all our framing crews. and I was talking about a problem that he had one, with one of his guys who did something very stupid that, that offended a homeowner. And Jeff called me. He took the initiative to call me. and He, and he talked about it. And he said, "He said I am so upset about this." And, here, and here's what he said, just, as, just word for word. He said, "Because we know people are afraid of us anyway, and they view us as some kind of dangerous people. So it hurts to have one of our guys do something that feeds into that stereotype." And he was just he was just aware. That as a construction worker, some people view him in some way as a lesser person. If you have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, (laughs) you should not favor one person or one kind of person over another. Colossians 3.11 says, There is no distinction between Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. And Galatians 2.28 says basically the same thing, but adds there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I mean, in Christ once we have come to Christ, once we have faith in, as James puts it, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, in Christ, we are blind to these outward differences. We are blind to economic differences. We are not impressed by social status. We are not impressed by economic status. We are not impressed by people with money or power. And we are not put off by a lowly, needy person who is either shabbily dressed or maybe even dressed in dirty clothes. We don't even think in those categories. We don't think in terms of rich and poor, slaves and masters, high and low. We should be friendly to both rich and poor, to show love and respect to both without making a different value judgment on anyone. And I don't ever want anyone who ever, on any Sunday, any time, any day of the week, who ever comes in to any kind of meeting at Real Life Church to be shown anything but complete love and acceptance. And everyone should be shown at all times that we value them as a person made in the image of God. (laughs) Well, that was for emphasis. (laughs) So now, now the trick will be if I can get them back in order. It might take me about 15 minutes here, so hold on. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Somebody has a, a prophecy to share or something. Now's the time to do it. <laughs> you know, I've I've always thought I should number these <laughs> pages, <laughs> and now I know for sure I I will I will be will be doing that. Oh my goodness. It's it's a good thing my message is going to be a little shorter this morning because okay okay well I'll do it on the go, on the fly here all right where were we um, okay I don't want anybody at real life church <laughs> to ever feel at any time anything but complete love and acceptance. I don't want any, anyone to feel that there's ever any kind of distinctions made. All right, in verse two, then after stating that we should not hold our, our faith in Jesus Christ in an attitude of personal favoritism, James gives us a specific example of showing favoritism. Verse two, for if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you spe- pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? So obviously this is a story, and we don't, we don't know. There's an argument going on among commentators whether this is a true story or it's just a parable that James made up. It doesn't matter, so we're not going to spend any time on that. But this is a story about a church gathering in which apparently there were not enough seats for everyone, so some had to stand or sit on the floor. There's nothing wrong with that. And some seats were better than others, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, When we come in min- meet in our life group, not every chair is the same. There's the same level of, 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 of comfort. Nothing wrong with that. The problem came when the people in the church gave the best chairs to the well-dressed rich man and had the poor man in his dirty or shabby clothes sit on the floor. Uh, The usher or whoever was seating people clearly viewed certain people as being worthy of a special status and other people as only good enough to sit on the floor. And so what is the big deal? What is the problem with this? Well, James says, you have made distinctions. And in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, we, all of us who hold faith in our, in our Lord Jesus Christ, all earthly distinctions have disappeared. And James says, have you not made distinctions? Or have you not discriminated among yourselves? And he puts it in the form of a question, but it's not, it's not just a question like there might be a po- two, two different possible answers. It's put in a question like this as, as a charge. This is a rebuke. He's saying this is wrong. To make distinctions is totally wrong in the body of Christ. To make distinctions is to divide the body, it strikes at the root of our oneness in Christ, and it destroys our, our fellowship in Christ. Jesus Christ puts all of us on a level ground. We all need Christ just as much. We were all sinners who needed to be saved. We are all now those who have faith in Christ. We are all now God's children. We are all brothers and sisters. We are all part of one body. In fact, every time we take communion, in a sense, we are fighting against this problem that James addresses. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says, is not the bread we break a sharing in the body of Christ? It is. When we take the bread, we're we're partaking of the body of Christ. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the same loaf, for we all take, partake of the same bread. So every time we take communion, we are showing, by taking part of one loaf, we're take, showing that we are taking part of Christ, one body of Christ, and that we are all on equal ground before the cross without distinction. So, the first reason, and James is, is not through, but the first reason why this is, is so wrong to show favoritism is that it makes distinctions where there isn't to be no distinctions. The second thing that is wrong about this is that favoritism reveals a judgmental heart. Verse 4 B, or the last half of four, have you not become judges with evil motives? Have you not become judges? So when you show favoritism, you're, you're, really, you're really usurping a, a place of judgment that does not belong to you. You're putting yourself in a place of God. You are judging things about people that you have no business judging. You have set yourself up as a judge of people's value or their worth. And this sin is so deceptive that without knowing it, without knowing it, we can be judging and condemning people all day long. And I, I'm afraid that in many of our, in many of our streams of thought, we just we just we go through life just continually making value judgments, distinctions on on people in a in a in a judgmental or condemning sort of way. I mean it just it goes with everything. He's too fat, she's too thin, they're always late, I don't know why they come so early. She dresses up too much, she doesn't dress up enough, he works too much, he doesn't work enough, he doesn't take of care of, of his stuff. He takes too much care of his stuff and on and on. And wrongly judging other believers is one of the most damaging sins in the body of Christ. And it can damage our homes and our marriages. A judgmental attitude is just, it's lethal to this completeness that James wants us to have. I mean, it sabotages our spiritual growth not to speak of the way that it endangers our unity and our close fellowship. So James is telling us a complete Christian does not judge people's value based on these kind of external things. Now, at the end of that verse says you have become judges with evil motives. So he's saying you, you know, you, you've, you've not only become judges and put yourself in a place that you're not supposed to be, But there is something evil about this. There is something seriously evil going on in your heart if you reject some people and fawn over others based on these external differences. Now, James doesn't tell us exactly what these evil motives are. You may be doing it from pride. Uh, You may want to only be associated with a certain kind of person and you're embarrassed to be associated with another Uh, You may be trying to gain some advantage from the the rich or the influential person, but whatever the motive, it's evil. There's something evil about making these kind of distinctions. The third problem with with showing favoritism or partiality is that you are ignoring God's value of poor people. James 5, in verse 5, James tells us to look at the one's whom God has chosen for salvation. And more often than not, they are poor. It is, it is a reality that most of the saints are poor. Not all, but it is a reality that most of the saints are poor. It's a reality that God has chosen more poor people than rich people. First Corinthians uh, one twenty six says, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise. By human standards, not many of you were powerful, not many of you are among the rich and famous, not many were of noble birth, and it goes on to talk about how God has chosen the weak. So if God honors the poor and the weaker in in this way, then we should too. Verse 6 goes on, uh, but you have dishonored, or, but by showing favoritism, you have dishonored the poor man. In other words, you have insulted the man who came into church in his shabby or dirty clothes. And again, I say, um, w- without being, I think we a- need to ask the Lord to search our hearts because without being aware of it, you may harbor in your heart attitudes that, where you just regard certain kinds of people as your kind of people and others as not. But I, I love Romans 12, 16. This is this, this is a verse that, that should be uh, written on our hearts. It says, but be of the same mind toward one another, the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Fourth problem with showing this kind of favoritism, especially between the rich and poor, is that favoritism toward the rich doesn't make sense. Verse 6, is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called and obviously james had something in mind here uh, in partic- i don't i'm not saying it's not true today but particularly in james day uh the poor or the the rich would uh oppress the poor they would ex- extract loans from them they would demand payment even when they couldn't pay them they would they would take them to court to get paid back with, without sympathy or understanding for their situation. But I think it's still just generally true. Typically, the rich do not have the best track record in how they treat you. Not, tr- not true of all, but, but there's just this general, general truth. Typically, the rich do not honor the name of the Lord. As a rule, The wealthy do not care about the God that you love. And so James is saying, why why cater to that segment of society? Why exalt them? Why place special value on them? It makes no sense. Now, James is not saying here, go insult the rich person. He's not saying, okay, go do something really cruel and mean to rich people. Uh, the command is to avoid favoritism of any kind. Uh, Leviticus 19.15, I think, explains this very well. It says, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. And again, it just comes back to this point. We're, we're, not, we're to be blind to these external differences in Christ, we are to judge fairly. The fifth problem, when you show favoritism, you violate your call to love all just as you love yourself. Verse 8, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that is a command that leaves no room at all for favoritism. Our call is to love everybody just as we love ourselves. Everybody. Our call is to honor the king and the little children. You know, we we as Christians, we are called uh, to honor to love all men, All all stratas of society, all every Every area of culture, no matter what is true um, or what characterizes a person outwardly Jesus, or James called this fulfilling the royal law and there 's a couple of different ideas about what he means by the royal law it could it, it could mean the royal law is the law of the king in other words it is it 's the law of god it 's it's, it's the, it's the law it 's it's the the law of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, it's the law of, of God, our Father, the ruler of the universe. But it also could be uh, considered the royal law because it is, it's, the, it's the supreme law, or it's, the, it's the, the, uh, the foremost, it's the primary command of the Bible. In other words, it is, this is not just one among many other commands, it is foremost, it fulfills all other laws. All other laws are summed up in this law. Jesus said, They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. So We are, we are to be known for this one command above all others. We're to be known as people who fulfill this one command to, to love, one, to love um, others as we love ourselves. We are to, to be known for that. And I just want to stop here for a second and let us, have us ask ourselves, what, what are we known for? What are we known for? You know, if people were to, to look at our lives and, and to, you know, what are the things that come to mind when they think of Reed Strand? Or you can put your name in there. What are things that people think of when they come to mind? What are we known for? Jesus said we are to be known for uh, or by our love for one another. And it, that's, that's a, it's, a, it's a sobering thought, but that's, and, and, and it's so important because this is really getting that, understanding that will dispel this whole problem of partiality and favoritism. What are you known for? So um, favoritism is wrong because it breaks the royal law of love. And I don't have a real long message here this morning, so I'm going to take time to, to read you a few quotes from uh, Andrew Murray that I was really struck with on love. There is a brother, a most unlovable man. He worries you every time you meet him. He is of the very opposite disposition to yours, we, or we might say he is of the very opposite personality you. You are a very careful businessman, and you have to do with him in your business. He is the most untidy person. He is the most unbusinesslike, like and you say, I cannot love him. Oh, friend, have you not learned the lesson that Christ wanted to teach you above everything? Let a man be what he will. You are to love him. Here's another one. We talk about grieving the Spirit of God by worldliness and ritualism and doctrinal error. But I tell you, the one thing above everything that grieves God's Spirit is this lack of love. Another one. Take the question of holiness. Take the question of baptism of the Spirit. What differences are caused among dear believers by such questions? That there are differences of opinion does not trouble me. But how often hate, bitterness, contempt, separation, unloving actions are caused by the holiest truths of God's word. Our doctrines, our creeds have been more important than love. We often think we are valiant for the truth and we forget God's greatest command to speak the truth in love. And you may think, well, what does this have to do with James chapter 2? I think it has everything. You know, we're not to insult the poor man and defer to the rich. But neither are we to show favoritism to the one who thinks just like we do on every doctrinal point and then have disdain for the one who holds a different view. You know, it takes a lot of grace to be in the body of Christ. It takes a lot of grace to be in a church. And I think, this, this whole thing about not showing favoritism, not making distinctions can apply um, on a lot of different levels. Number six, James is not done telling us how bad this problem of favoritism is. And I think the last few verses that we're going to look at, verse 9 through 13, I think James wrote this, for any who think that showing showing favoritism is just a minor issue. And he starts out, he says in verse 9, you are committing sin. Okay, can't get much plainer than that. You are committing sin. Verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. If you do not commit murder, or I'm sorry, if you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder you have broken the moral law of God. And in the same way, if you live a clean, moral life, but you show favoritism and make distinctions among people, you have broken God's heart and His law. You can't pick and choose which commands you want to obey. You can't say, well, you know, I do pretty good because I don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, so, you know, I do pretty good at those things, so I'm not going to worry about a little thing like treating people differently. It just doesn't work that way. If your heart is to obey God, then your heart is to obey God in all things, as much as you possibly know and understand. If your, heart, if your heart really is to please the Lord, you want to please Him in every way, every day. You can't obey God on a selective basis. Now, I'm going to put just a little little clause in here for any you know theologians among the group here. I, I'm not going to spend any time this morning trying to harmonize all that James says about commands and law and so forth with what Paul says about the law. It, it would take way too much time, and I'm afraid we would miss the point of James. So if anybody, anyone you know feels confused about that, come to our life group Wednesday night, and we'll talk about it, okay? That's all I'm going to say on that. Verse 12 goes on. So speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Now, the law of liberty, that's a phrase that James uses in this book. And it's like James assumes uh, that we know what it means, and maybe we don't know what it means. Uh, but the, So, again, this is a, there's a lot of d- different discussion on what this means. But it's an interesting phrase, the law. I mean, it's a, it implies that there, you know, there's something we're to, to do, a command. But yet, it's the law of liberty, which you know, that seems to that, that's that's so different. Well, I I view the law of liberty as the, the law of Christ, so to speak, that we are not under the law of Moses, but we are under the law of Christ. It's the, the law of the new the, the new covenant, the the, the, the inner calling that, that is placed upon our hearts through through God work, giving us a new birth, giving us His Spirit. Um, Christ has freed us from the burdensome commands and regulations of the, lo- of the law of Moses, and He said, "A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another." I mean, and that's that's certainly not everything that that, that we're given to do or shown to do in the new, in the new covenant, but but that's the sum of it. That's that's the core of it. And so, when you love others, you are acting according to the law of l- liberty. When you don't, you're acting against it. Paul said, it was, it was for freedom that you were called brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And then James says, Speak to others, and this is really this is really what I'm trying to, to get to. That was just those thoughts were just a little bit of background. But James says, Speak to others and act toward others as those who will be judged by this law of liberty. And so if I can put, put as I, my understanding upon it is that s- so speak or speak and act as those who will be judged by this law of liberty that calls us primarily to love one another and through, through love to serve one another. In other words, you will be judged on how you have loved one another Without making any distinctions, showing favoritisms, showing distinctions is not loving, and it is setting up a person for harsh judgment. Now, verse thirteen. I know this could be misunderstood in a lot of ways, and again, I don't know that I can. I, I don't know I can can sort everything out for you in this verse, but I'm gonna do the very very best that I can for judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Okay, let's I mean let's think about what James is saying here. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. A big factor in how you will be judged or how you are judged will be how merciful you were toward others. If you are merciful in dealing with others, God will be merciful in dealing with you. But it says, judgment will be merciless for the one who has shown no mercy. Now, I don't know about you, but that strikes a little bit of fear in my heart. And I, I really I really don't think that that James is holding this as a threat necessarily over believers because only an unconverted person could be a person who has shown no mercy, okay? I mean, if you've shown no mercy, if you just live your life without mercy, always making judgments of others, always being, uh, showing partiality, making distinctions, um, that you're not a convert you're not converted you don't belong to the lord in a genuine way so only an unconverted person could be a person who has shown no mercy but the warning here the warning is there for us to see how terrible a thing it is to make unmerciful judgments or to be unmerciful people i mean people people will be going to hell because they have lived lifelong lives in, in showing no mercy. Judgment will be merciless to them. So as believers, as those who, who know and love Jesus Christ, and great, the greatest command is that we love others as we love ourselves, we want to be people who are showing mercy, right? Right? Jesus said in Luke six thirty six through 38, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. You know, we sang a really sweet song this morning about how good God is. He loves us. I love that song. We're, 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 you know, we, think, we might think, man, that's, that's so neat to think that God feels that way about me. Okay? Well, that's wonderful. And the Bible says, go do the same toward other people. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. And then the the end of that verse says, For by your own standard of measure, it will be measured out to you in return. I mean, Jesus teaches that God will deal with with us in much the same way that we have dealt with others. I mean, it's serious business. And James is, I, I believe, sharing this, this verse just to make sure that we don't disregard this, that, that we see what a major thing this is to God, that we show mercy to all, that we don't treat someone who walks in the door of the church with any kind of disrespect or disdain because they aren't dressed like we want them to be dressed, or if they're dirty or the smell or, or whatever, we... Show mercy. So before you disrespect someone, uh, before you disrespect the poor man in the dirty clothes, before you speak disdainfully about a brother or sister because of some outward thing, seriously think about this. How you show mercy will be how you are shown mercy. If you want God to be merciful to you, Go be merciful to all people around you without distinction, and then mercy triumphs over judgment. And I, I, I think I have what what James means here. I, mean, it, it, I, I think I think I understand. I'm not I'm not going to put myself out here. Somebody, somebody might disagree with me, but I think I, I I think I I think I understand what James is saying here you got to take this verse, mercy triumphs over judgment. You have to take it in the context. You have to read it all in one sentence. Judgment is merciless to the one who shows no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. And the word triumphs here means either to exalts or glories or even rejoices. And here's what I think this means. Without showing any mercy, Judgment hangs over a person as a fearful and awful thing. But mercy allows us, as as we live in mercy to others, it allows us to face judgment with confidence and not fear. Not that we are saved by mercy. We are saved by the atoning Sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ through faith alone in Him. But in showing mercy, we confirm that we are in that status as a child of the living God. It confirms that God has called us and chosen us and that we are His because we are not people who are uh, being unmerciful, unkind, disrespectful, disdaining others, but we show mercy. On all. Uh, exposition of the Bible put it this way, um, merciful men and women who have shown mercy to the poor saints will not be afraid of the awful judgment, but rather they will rejoice or glory as the word signifies in view of it since they will obtain mercy at that day. And they will hear, Come, you blessed of my Father. He only shall glory in the day of judgment who hath shown mercy. Uh, to me, there's something really powerful about this verse, to think that we can face judgment with an attitude of triumph, of glory, of rejoicing, uh, by, because we live out a lifestyle of mercy without showing favoritism, but being kind to all, I mean, to me, that's a, that's a great thing. And again, it's not because we're saved by our works, but through the work of Jesus in us and as genuinely converted per- people showing mercy, um, we do not need to fear judgment. What a tremendous motivation it is to accept one another, to love one another, to show respect and courtesy and mercy to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. In Christ, we are all one without distinction. And I pray by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that this message would be deeply embedded on our hearts. Um, what any anything um, anything that would remain in our hearts or anything that would be individually in our hearts or in us as a church that in any way shows favoritism or makes distinction I pray by the grace of God that the Holy Spirit would root that out of our hearts this morning through this bold uh, teaching of James let's pray father uh, we are humbled by this message um, it's, it's powerful. Uh, it speaks to real, live issues that every one of us have, whether, whether we're um, a, a, a child or a teenager, um, a middle-aged person or an older person. It deals with things that we need to have dealt with in our heart. God, we we want to be people who accept everyone in the body of Christ with an equal love, with an equal respect, with a a genuine embracing, a genuine acceptance of all, regardless of how high or low, how rich or poor, how mighty or how weak, how noble or how humble. Lord, we we want to be people that are, that are known by our love for one another, not known for making distinctions. We don't want to be known for that, Lord. We want to be known for our love for each other. So, Lord, we, uh, we commit ourselves to you. We just expose ourselves to you. Uh, we say, search me, O God, and lead me in the everlasting way. Search us, O God, and lead us. In the everlasting way, the true way, the righteous way that James explained to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. For-